Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast where women get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. My guests are wonder women from the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real problem. I know this only too well as a female Southeast Asian mechanical engineer. I was kind of a minority within a minority back then. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, an engineer turned broadcaster. Throughout my career, I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation. And through my television work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. Talking to these exceptional ladies has often left me feeling empowered, hopeful, and excited about life. I believe silence will enrich you too. Every week, a woman in STEM shares her unique experiences with absolutely no pressure in having to promote her accomplishments or guard her impressive reputation, because I've come to realize that everyone is just way more open and relaxed when they're anonymous. So I deliberately disguise my guest voices so that we're just connecting as human beings rather than human doings. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of yeast genetics. Hello. Hello. Yeast genetics, huh? Yes. (laughs) That sounds uh, extremely niche. (laughs) It's actually quite broad and it's been around for a while, which is nice. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe back, you know, some of the early biologists were yeast geneticists. Yeast has been around for beer and bread for a long time. Ah, And it works really well for science, too. Yes. Two things that most people can't live without. Yes, exactly. And and two things that women, well, speak for myself, (laughs) two things that I don't go near um, because, yeah, it would just be a lot more work in the gym. Yes. (laughs) So how are you doing, like, with the whole coronavirus thing? Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, I'm stuck at home now. I can't go into lab. It's probably the first time I haven't pipetted in many years at this point. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely kind of putting things on pause, but I'm doing what I can to try and be quote unquote productive. Mm. Um, but it's tricky. So where are you at? Like, is this your full time job? Are you still studying? Yeah, so I'm a like upper year graduate student, so in the probably the last year of my PhD program. Oh, um, well done. So I was really like ramping up to like do the last push of experiments and get everything done so I could start writing my thesis yeah. come this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't quite get through all the experiments I have to do. I had to kind of quickly put everything in the freezer and then come home. So it's been a little frustrating, but we will get through it. And is home a long way from the lab? No, it's a 30-minute bike ride, ah, okay. um, so not too far. I live fairly close. Yeah. Gosh, I'm just thinking about my days when I was at that point, mm-hmm. um, sort of like a year to finish where I was just like, ah, oh, get this done already. Like, I just yeah. need to be done. And uh, it's, it's that frustrating point where – um, you're just you're qualified enough to keep going and see it to the end, but you're not done. So you, you know, mission not accomplished yet. Exactly. I finally felt like okay, I actually know what I have to do now, which took me a long time to figure that out. Um, and I was like mentally ready to go, and then just hit the pause button. So yeah. So how are you not going insane? <laughs> um, so I've picked up 
some bread making as a yeast biologist. I thought it was my duty to learn how to bake some bread in quarantine. Okay. Um, so didn't cheese beer? Yeah. <laughs> beer seemed a little complicated. <laughs> bread at least was easier to, to do. Even if you make bad bread, it's still edible mostly. Yeah. You know, you know it's just a flat bread at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, but I've been trying to do some computational work. Um, I'm not a particularly... You know, my, my work is definitely on the bench. I'm a wet lab scientist. I like to, you know, grow large yeast cultures and do biochemistry, run gels, all that stuff you kind of imagine a scientist, quote unquote, doing. Mm. But there's a huge emerging field of computational biology, and wow. there's a lot of power in that. So I'm trying to use this time to learn some new, you know, skills that I could maybe use in the future, even if not directly at this moment for my work. Yeah, I mean... Gosh, I really admire you women who are using this time to like pick up a new language, whether that's coding or, you know, a spoken language or, you know, it's just so incredible how the women on the show are always just so thirsty for learning. Yeah, I think I like the first few weeks were super rough for me because I didn't I hadn't quite picked a focus to like start doing and I was going crazy sitting still. I think, uh, I mean, firstly, like, I'm super driven. I want to do this. I want to be in science. Mm. Um, and I've always had that drive. So to just be told, no, you can't do that was really frustrating and difficult to kind of pill to swallow. But mm. I think once I decided, okay, well, I can't do what I want to do, but there's still cool, interesting science questions I can try and, like, play around with in some sort of mock way at, you know, from the comfort of my couch under my blanket. So let's see if if we can try that out. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm getting to the point where I actually don't want to come out of lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would be very happy to go back to lab. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I just yeah. maybe it's because my my day job is very extrovert and sort of out mm -hmm. there, um, and I really am such an introvert at heart. So the idea of like going back out into the world is quite daunting. Yeah, it is a little scary, but. I'm I'm still ready to be done with my PhD, so I would like yeah. to uh, get back to it. <laughs> yeah. So what happens after you're done? Um. So then you kind of are standing on the cliff of abyss of what do I do now that I have a PhD? Yeah. Um. And <laughs> I I've gone back and forth about this a lot about what I want to do next. I think there's a big push now to not go into academia. That you know there are so many industry jobs available. Um, and I'm currently in an area of the world that has a lot of biotech and other things around, but I keep coming back to, I really, I, I think I'm going to do a postdoc, which is the next step to becoming a faculty kind of a lot on that track and staying in academia. Um, I keep trying to convince myself I don't want to do it because it's a much easier life plan if you don't want to stay in academia, but there's something about it that really draws me to it. I love thinking about science, asking questions about science. I like the ability to kind of mentor students. I've done a lot of teaching and had a lot of uh, students under me in lab. And those are the things that I like about science, talking about science, writing about science. You know, if I don't have to pipette, it would be a tr tough transition, but I would make it through. Whereas if I didn't think I had the chance to kind of teach people and mentor people, that would be a much more difficult thing to give up for me. Mm. So it sounds like whatever happens, you'll be in a lab probably for the rest of your career. For a while longer, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, the next stop is to do another set of research on a new project in a new lab um, and then eventually have my own lab one day. 
Oh, wow. So how did you get into the whole thing? Like, what was it obvious from a very young age that this was what you would end up doing? Um, not at all. I mean, to some degree, maybe I've always liked math, actually. Um, so for a long time in high school, I was like, I'm gonna be an actuary, which is a super nerdy thing for yeah. a you know, freshman in high school to want to be. really tough as well. Yeah, but there was just this one, we had some speaker come through my high school who was an actuary. I was like, wow, that looks so cool. And all my friends were like, really? That sounds really boring. <laughs> um, so I think early on, I really realized that I loved math and STEM. And, you know, science classes were always my favorite. Mm. Um, and my parents are not at all scientists. They're both in business and accountants. So they were like, okay, we don't really know how to help you, but good luck with that. Um, and oh, wow. So it wasn't even that you were pushed. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, my parents pushed me to do well and to succeed, um, but they are amazing and were very supportive. As long as, you know, we were... Me, I have a brother as well, so we as the two of us, as long as we were, you know, being successful at what we were doing and trying and working hard, they're super supportive of us. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, at least my dad's always trying to understand what I'm doing. You know, they try really hard to ask about my research and stuff, which is very endearing mm-hmm. um, and nice to, it's a good challenge to talk about your research into a public audience. So it, I've always felt I had a leg up because I've had so many conversations with my dad about it. Um, But I didn't realize until college um, when I had kind of the first opportunities to try working in a lab that that's really what I liked doing. So it doesn't sound like you were driven by the status of it all, you know, having academic titles before your name. Not particularly. Um, I just really am a huge science nerd at heart and I want to understand things and I want to know new information and there's something super amazing about being the only one in the entire world to have asked this question and to know that answer for a split second you know and then you get so excited you tell everyone you can talk to about it but (laughs) it's really cool to have that experience yeah um and that's kind of what drives me just being able to ask questions I think are super interesting and being able to you know do something myself to try and answer them yeah I mean what I found with all my guests is that there is just this genuine curiosity about Mm -hmm. unraveling the secrets of the universe whichever corner of the universe we're looking at and you know it's this insatiable um need to just get answers that I think drives us in STEM doesn't it yeah for for sure at least that's what drives me um I learned this fact very early on in grad school that your DNA is two meters long and it fits inside of every cell of your body, which is, you know, microns of diameter. You can't even see what, you know, a single cell. And like, how does that happen is this question that I think I'm going to try and answer for the rest of my life. It's so interesting to me. And it's just something I like feel like I need to understand better. That's so interesting because as an engineer, I'm going, wait, how can something that's two meters long fit in a cell? Exactly. Where does all of the volume go? <laughs> Great question. We, <laughs> and, you we're know, talking about when, two meters long of a DNA that's spelt out with a very large font size. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, so, you know, it's tiny and you couldn't see it, but it's two meters still and it fits inside of a cell. And then, you know, the cell has to be able to read that two meters and know, okay, in this case, I need to make an eye cell. In this case, I need to make a finger. In this case, I need to make some stomach. So it's just this crazy problem. And I don't understand it. And I want to. Yeah, no, it's absolutely mind boggling. 
um, the gender kind of balance in biology mm -hmm. um, favors women, which is not the case for engineering, but yet biology for me is total double Dutch. <laughs> like, how has it been for you? Because you sound very mathematical. Yeah, I mean, I was in math. I took a lot of math in college, and there there were three girls and, you know, a class of 50 or whatever. Mm. And I've never been so aware of the fact that, like, I'm a woman before as I was in my math classes. Yeah. Um, which was just a really weird thing. And even though biology is, you know, better for undergrad classes, I, you know, had mainly women in classes. At the professor level, it's still primarily dominated by men. So I've never mm. worked in a lab with a female mentor. Oh. Um, I've always, always had male mentors. And I mean, I've had amazing mentors. They are for sure part of the reason that I am where I am today. Mm. Um, they never, I had one bad one, but you know, most of the time they didn't really care that I was a woman. They just saw that I was interested in science, saw that I was doing well and kind of encouraged me to keep trying and to reach farther than I would have thought I could on my own. Mm. Um, I think having good mentors that believe in you, regardless of their gender, regardless of your gender, um, is what makes or breaks someone's ability to kind of get far in academia. Totally. What was the bad experience? I just had a mentor who, he, d he didn't really believe in me. He didn't really think I was competent for reasons that I still don't know. And it definitely was a huge hit to my confidence and took yeah. me a while to kind of get back into thinking that I was good. Um, I almost, I almost dropped out of grad school for a while just oh because I, it was really tough to kind of not have him, you know, him think that you were good enough. He didn't really listen to your opinions at all. And then someone next to you, who happened to be in that lab, it was uh, very male heavy. And so if the guy said it, it seemed that he thought it was a better idea. The words, if I said it, it didn't really get listened to. Um, <sighs> And by circumstances that were beyond my control, I, I left that lab. Um, the lab kind of fell apart uh, because the advisor just relocated to a different um, area, which happens. And at the time was also devastating because then, I, I, you know, my person was leaving. He didn't really believe in me. Should I follow him? Should I stay? What do I do? Mm. Um, and... Also to complicate the mix was that I had at the time a very long distance boyfriend who's now my fiance, so that worked out. Um, but he had just <laughs> moved to be with me and we were no longer going to be long distance. So I decided mm -hmm. to, at that moment, prioritize my personal life, which in the end was really good for my professional life because it meant that I took myself out of that kind of bad lab that at the time I didn't even realize it was such a bad lab until I was you know, back in a good lab and reminded that, oh, right, people do think that what I'm saying is... Of value because it was um so it was kind of a whirlwind gosh yeah <laughs> I mean there's so much in that first of all I really relate to that feeling of you know kind of questioning yourself when your mentors are doubting you yeah it's tough um it is crippling uh in my experience where um you just have what you believe to be good things to say and you're saying it with good intentions but it's it's received but wrong mm -hmm. and that can be so soul destroying to the point where I really understand why you felt like you wanted to leave um or move or just get away from that um yeah, yeah I mean it's so powerful isn't it 
And that was extra difficult, I think, in particular in the science setting, because science really values people asking questions, even if they're quote unquote dumb questions, they're really not, right? It means that, you know, the person explaining it didn't think of it or they went too quickly. And to feel like I couldn't ask questions was really harmful for my like growth and development too. And it yeah. took me a while once I left that lab to kind of regain the confidence to speak up and ask questions in my new lab, which is phenomenal. But And how much time were you under those kinds of conditions? So I worked in this lab that I, for about two years or so, and I think that being there, I didn't realize that I was in such a bad spot. I think other people started saying, hey, this isn't really a good environment for you, but for, it's so difficult. How did they know that? I mean, I think I would just talk about, you know, I had one really good friend in the lab with me who noticed, and she was um, much more advanced. She was a postdoc, so she had already had her PhD, and she was... Um, several years older than I am in terms of her science development kind of pulled me aside one day and was like, Hey, I, I don't think you're thriving in this environment. I think you should kind of take a beat and think about what you want to do. And if this is the right place for you. And she did it purely not because she thought I was, she thinks I was worth more than what I was being given credit for and kind of took me aside and pointed it out. And it's difficult to hear. Mm. And I, I didn't want to believe her. And I stayed in that lab far longer than I should have because it's so difficult to take yourself out of an environment like that and to kind of admit in a weird way that you had like failed at picking a lab and that lab had failed you in, in return. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now, and it took me a while to regain my confidence to speak up and uh, kind of think that I, I am still a co competent scientist. Um, but yeah, now I've finally like had some self-reflection, realized that was a bad environment, realized I am qualified and I'm back at it. Hmm. Did you ever, in those two years, ask yourself why he was picking on you? I mean, was it just you? Or was it um, other people? It wasn't explicitly just me. I think I got the worst of it. Um, and I did you ever question why? Yeah, I mean, I, in my mind, not that I probably explicitly questioned why, I just implicitly decided, oh, it must mean that I'm the worst and that I yeah. am the least qualified, therefore he thinks the least highly of me. Um, which is kind of, uh, you know, that was the message he was sending. And being a young graduate student, he's a PI, he's been, you know, he has all of the power in the situation. I just kind of believed that I was bad for a while. Um, and it took a lot of good friends of mine, both in that lab, in my new lab, and just friends through my graduate program who are in a completely different lab to kind of remind me that I am a good scientist and that I am a good, you know, that I am worth more than what I was given in that environment. Mm. Gosh, I mean, even though it doesn't sound like it was a nice experience, it sounds like it really cemented your own self-belief I mean now it does now I've had the time that was maybe almost two years ago now so now I've had the time to kind of take a step back reflect on the experience itself and also I've had time in a new environment where I am getting positive feedback that I am good enough to kind of override the negative feedback um, mm. but for a long time I was did not think that I was going to make it through grad school I thought I was just going to be a failed scientist and that I was going to you know go into accounting with my parents or something so yeah I mean 
when you were making the transition from a negative space to a positive one, were there any things that were essential in making that transition? Um, so when I picked my new lab, I ended up not even necessarily caring so much what I was studying about, but just purely talking to people about who's a good mentor, who is known and has this track record of being encouraging because at the time I was craving that. I was craving someone to tell me that like, I'm good and it will be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I I love the research I'm doing now. I think that most scientists and people interested in STEM can find things they're interested in in almost any environment. But I think prioritizing mentorship was not something I did my first time picking a lab because it just wasn't something I was aware of how important it was. I guess I had been, I had been really lucky in my past and I just, you know, serendipitously had picked labs with really good mentors. And now moving forward, it's something I'm super, you know, cognizant of and making a decision about where to spend my time is, are these people good mentors? Do the people, you know, at the level I'm coming in at, do they think that their, you know, boss or superior supports them, gives them the opportunity to, you know, speak their mind and stuff like that? Mm. And what is... What are the hallmarks of a good mentor? Um, I think it depends a little bit on each person. So I think another thing I did in that kind of transition period was really reflect on what does a good mentor look like for me at this time. And for me, I wanted someone who is, um, you know, very available to talk to and very kind of involved in my work in the, the lab. I know other people, a good mentor means someone that just lets them do whatever, gives them money and says, come show me, you know, your final project when it's done in two years. So I think it's something that, A, you really have to reflect on yourself. And maybe it takes, you know, a good and bad mentor before you really realize what's important. But also I talked to the people in that lab space and just said, you know, do you feel supported? Do you think that this person believes in you? And just asking, people are really honest. No one's trying to have you sign up for a position that they think is bad. Um, they'll tell you if it's a bad environment or if it's a good environment and just having the confidence to ask people, are you happy here? Do you think that your boss is supportive? Um, was really enlightening when deciding where to go next. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about the word support and encouragement because, um, to some people, needing support and encouragement is a bit of a cop-out it's kind of like oh can you not like prop up your self-confidence on your own like you need support and encouragement like I I've come across attitudes like that where I just think is it me that is really weak needing support and encouragement or is it just a human thing to just need support and encouragement and I think it is just really human. Yeah, I was like, maybe that person just needs a hug or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I also have friends of mine who are very independent and who get annoyed if their boss kind of talks to them and gives them pep talk. But I really need it. And I've now just decided, whatever, if someone doesn't like that I need that, that's fine. Maybe we won't be the best of friends. But this is what I need. And I'm confident enough now to be in a place where I get that from my environment. Right. I mean, what is so refreshing about um, your perspective is that uh, you're always prioritizing what you need. And Mm -hmm. I think that's such a strength. um, That's so empowered to say, you know what, I need this and I'm not going to feel bad about that. Yeah. 
I think that's something that I've grown into, but is now something I also view as a strength of mine, being able to kind of reflect and think about what I need, ask for what I need, and then, you know, do better because I've done that. Mm. Yeah. Gosh, that's so empowered. I feel like I need to sit with that for a bit. No, because I I feel like so many of us um, are always at the mercy of someone or something, you know. Mm -hmm. We're always, you know, most of us have someone we are looking up to, whether that's a boss or, you know, a mentor or, you know, we're always striving to be better, right? So there's always going to be someone that is better um, that we look to. but it means that, I don't know, we're not somehow owning where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I also do still have people I very much look up to, and I see what they're doing, and, you know, I talk to, to them about things as well. I have, I've always kind of picked labs that have someone in them that I would like to aspire to be like scientifically, Um but that doesn't mean that the path that they took to get there is going to be the exact same path that I'm going to take to get there. And, mm. you know, I can, I can take the aspects that I, I like about someone, someone I'm aspiring to be like someone I view as a role model, but kind of see that as sort of more of an endpoint of what I would like to be like, but realize that my path to get there may be a little different. And it's taken me a long time to get there to say, that's okay. It's okay to get there in a different way as long as you kind of get the qualities that you admire eventually Mm. and do you have role models yeah I mean most of my I don't necessarily have role models in the like big sense but every place I go I've had people I really look up to and respect just you know a few years above me just okay I want to get to that level okay I want to get to that level um I think I never I still think that there are very few really prominent women who have made it super huge in the scientific world. Um, I mean, there are definitely scientists that I have huge, like I read every paper that comes out of their lab just because I think they're amazing. And I try in those ones, try and find some women scientists that I think are really kick-ass. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mostly when I think of mentorship and role models, I think of, people that I know really intimately um, right. and that I can try and aspire to be like. So what are your aspirations? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would love to be a professor one day and to teach students. I love teaching. I I really like mentoring students. I always try and have a student under me in lab if I can. Um, and I really kind of enjoy you know, writing about science. I spend a lot of time um, doing stuff like that. I write for, you know, blogs for public uh, and stuff like that. So I kind of just want to continue doing that in some regard. Hmm. And then sort of on a more multi-dimensional role of a woman, mm-hmm. um, how does fitting in all the other things aside from career work um yeah I mean that's very on on the forefront of my mind right now so um I'm in the process of planning my wedding which is very exciting ah, congratulations um, yeah thank you um so you know we're starting to plan our lives together outside of science and 
at the same time, I'm about to be graduating in the next year or so. And all that's, of course, going to happen, I'm sure, within the same week of each other, because that's seemingly how life ends up working. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely very much on the forefront of my mind right now is, okay, how do I start this new life with my partner? How do I balance our relationship and lab time? How do we start planning to have children? Um, it's difficult and something that I'm grateful for my partner because he is just very supportive and we have built a lot of open communication about all of this stuff because it is difficult to figure out when is the best time to have kids. Maybe there is no best time to have kids. Maybe you just do it and hope that it works out. But mm. yeah, yeah, I must say I'm completely on the fence with that because um so many women that have come on the show have worked for so long in academia to get qualified mm -hmm. to do these amazing jobs that they've kind of carved out for themselves. And nowhere in that plan has there been time to give yourself selflessly to children, which seems to be the inevitable. Like once you have kids, like yeah. you are, they are a priority. Yeah, I think it's funny. In my brain, I have like two very clear plans. One plan is like, okay, get your PhD, get a postdoc, get a faculty, have a career. And like at the same time in my brain, an entirely unrelated thing is like, okay, like find a partner, get married, have kids, have a family. And like now I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, these two things can't be separate. They have to be merged together. And like how mm -hmm. to start putting them, right? They're both very clear trajectories. But it's now at the point where I'm trying to merge them in some way is getting more complicated. Do you think it is mergeable? I'm going to make it mergeable because I want yeah. both of these things, right? I, I think it's complicated. I think it's going to be difficult, but I've worked, I'm very proud of where I am and I would like to be a faculty member one day, but I also, family is super important to me. I've always wanted to have a family and have kids and, you know, I'm not at this point willing to compromise yet on having both of them. Um, and I'm not sure how, but it'll work. I think things are getting a little better in that postdoc grants and things are having more flexibility with taking time off for maternity leave, which is nice to see. Um, yeah. It's still not great and it's still hard, but at least it's starting to get a little better. Um, yeah, that's the impression I'm getting. I, I'm, I'm, from the conversations I've had, it seems as though having those merged plans mm -hmm. is only possible if you make it so. Yeah. Like, the only obstacle to merging those plans is you mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, it, it, women have said that they were told they couldn't and they shouldn't um, and they did it anyway and it worked out. And, you know, I think if we tell ourselves, nah, that will never work, no one else has done it, we shouldn't even try it, then we then fall into the category of just a woman that has given up before she's even tried. Yeah, I mean, I've had many people tell me, oh, it's too late, you should have already had kids in grad school. Oh, you should never have a kid in postdoc, because then you're never going to be successful enough to get a faculty job. Or, oh, you shouldn't wait until then. And then I have my mom being like, what do you mean? I had kids by your age already. Where are my grandchildren? So, you know, I have it 
both ways people giving me advice but I think it's just in the end gonna be between me and, and my partner to decide okay where are we do we think we can do this and do we just want this enough that we're gonna find a way to make it work that's the other thing about I'm really grateful for my partner because he's very willing to compromise with me and to kind of you know it feels like we're in this together right yes child you know rearing falls mostly on the woman but at the same time, mm. he's very willing to support me and has a job that's a bit more flexible and that he could maybe stay home a little longer than I would be able to. So. Well, that's so amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely one of the trends I've seen is that behind every woman who um, appears to have it all, mm-hmm. you know, motherhood, career, um, all of that is a really supportive partner. Yeah. You know, someone who is prepared to put those typically male dominated um perspectives to one side and just say no I'm gonna help you on this yeah he is great in that regard and he's always there to you know pick me up when I'm having a bad day or you know now we're talking about moving where we want to spend the next bit of time and it's nice to just be able to have an open conversation and to feel that you have someone who is willing to compromise just as much as you may have to to get you know Mm -hmm. the life you both want I also think it helps that my mom always worked so I kind of grew up in a environment where both my parents worked all the time and I kind of saw that Yes, it was difficult and there were times that it was stressful, but it worked and we made it work because that's what, you know, the environment we were in and it was fine. Mm. So I think that also gives me a little bit of confidence that, you know, if my mom can do it, my mom worked full time, had me and my brother, then I can do it too. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I just think, you know, there's this saying, you need to see it to be it. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, again, another theme that's come out of the podcast is that um, often we are just taking a few steps further than the generation before us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you if your mum was always working while she had you, then there's nothing to say that you, you know, can't get these qualifications and keep going and, you know, and, and have it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if there are any young aspiring girls in STEM or girls considering STEM or not even just girls, like young boys as well who are thinking of going into a STEM career, like what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the thing that's made the biggest impact for me is one, like find good mentors, truly really cannot emphasize that enough. But two, mm-hmm. take some time to like self-reflect as well about what really interests you and why you're doing this and try and, you know, find the environments that support you best, not necessarily that are the greatest environments or that have, you know, the highest reputation, but just what is the best place for you at that moment? And, you know, Mm. how can you best thrive in that situation? And on the subject of self-reflection, like what kinds of things do you do to, because I think a major part of, kind of making a plan for your future and um, deciding what you want for your career really involves a keen sense of who we are as individuals. Yeah. What have you done along those lines to kind of get to know yourself better? Yeah, I think it's something that's a always constantly evolving too, but just having the courage to actually like be honest with yourself about what you want. I feel like 
it's very easy to just kind of get swept up on the train of this is what I should do. Let me check all the boxes and then I'm going to have this career and it's going to be great. Um, and I think that just even, so for me, I like to run or I do yoga or do something physical. And it's just kind of time to yourself to think a little bit and say, is this really what I want to be doing? Am I waking up every day still kind of excited to be doing what I'm doing? If yes, why? What really is driving me? And if no, what's missing? I think it's tricky. Like, I, it took me a long time to really, like, be truthful with myself, which is so silly, right? No one's going to judge me if I'm truthful with myself. But I think once you really think something and once you kind of materialize it, even in your brain, it's hard to look past it. And it's much easier to make steps towards doing what you you're, you want. Mm. Were you born with that ability to self-reflect? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> so what what kind of... Uh, nudged you into the direction of taking an interest in yourself I'm not sure really I think that just uh I don't know um I think just having gone through experiences that were good and maybe even that experience that was really bad for me kind of made me realize how important it is to think about what you want you know there's always guidance counselors and career center people telling you, you should really think about what you want. And I, I sort of ignored that for most of my undergrad career and definitely throughout my high school career. Um, mm. It wasn't really until, you know, you leave college and you're just, you can do anything they tell you. And that's horrifying <laughs> at the same time as it is empowering and exciting. Um, so I think that once I really had the opportunity to truly do what I want, once I was in that bad environment and I was deciding, is this what I want? This is, you know, I had a lot of people saying like, this is your life. You can choose what to do what you want or choose not to do what you don't want to be doing or be in a place that's bad for you. So I think just having gone through that's kind of made me realize how important it is to check in with myself and say, is this good? Is this bad? Do I like what I'm doing? Do I not? And then I also kind of take the time to do things for myself. So I'll go for long runs or I'll do yoga or I'll do something that just kind of is time for me just to take a little break from, you know, lab, friends, family, my partner. Um, And then just by carving out some time that I've told myself is just for me, things bubble up, right? Thoughts kind of come to the surface. And then I just have started to listen to them and started to think through what just naturally kind of you're feeling but maybe don't want to say or think through because it's tricky and difficult and hard Mm. how's your relationship with failure um I don't like to fail (laughs) um but it is inevitable were you typically a kid that like got straight A's and things um yeah so I I did definitely work really hard to make sure I got straight A's um I did not really even enjoy it if I got a B that to me was not good enough um but I think Mm -hmm. at the same time that I was doing a lot of um academics in high school I also played sports and that was super useful for me because I definitely lost a lot of sports games and I was not maybe the best athlete to start with I, I ended up doing fairly well in athletics but I think that having to face failure often made me a bit better at it, even though I'm still not happy to fail. Um, I've started to, to use it, try to use it as a, you know, learning opportunity. That's still tricky for me. I'm not perfect. It's still growing. Failure is a tough subject. (laughs) 
Yeah, especially in biology, right? Because I mean, there's so many uncertainties. It's not like you set out to do a bunch of experiments and know the result already. Yeah, so yeah, it's also tricky, I think, in biology because it's a very competitive field. So, um, you know, a lot of people are working on very similar things. So, you know, being the first to get it is important. And if someone else Mm -hmm. beats you, that's also failing in a particular, you know, in a sense of it. So it's something that I'm still working on how to get better at failing. Um, But it's also something that still drives me to, you know, do better so I don't fail. Um, Although, you know... I guess the thing the thing with failure I, I have the most is uh, like applying for funding and not getting funding. That's mm. super common. But maybe what I've started doing is not calling it quote unquote failure, but just calling it other things. So like if I don't get a grant, I'll often think, oh, it maybe wasn't me. It was just super competitive. And now I need to be a bit better the next time. Um, or, you know, Sometimes it's a little bit of a luck of the draw thing. Maybe I I was good, but it just wasn't my time. So let me try again next year. Well, that sounds like you're being compassionate with yourself. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm not always good at it. <laughs> yeah, no, it is really tricky to walk that tightrope of kind of being easy on yourself, but pushing yourself to your yeah. I'm much maximum. I'm much worse about if I if an experiment in lab doesn't work. That's very difficult for me to kind of get through. Mm. I still don't have a great way to do it, but you just gotta show up and try. Hopefully, it works. Yeah, I mean, sadly, that kind of distress. And suffering yeah. as a result of failure is probably the rocket fuel that keeps you True. propelling forward. A little. So with that in mind, like if you were to look back over your career, what are the things you would do differently um, with that all important hindsight? I think nothing. I have, I try to, to not do that. Try not to look back and say, what would I change? But just try and look back and say, what was good that I want to emulate moving forward? Uh, Mm. Because yeah, that lab that I was in wasn't good, but I learned so much about myself and so much about what I want to be and not be. And there were even good things, you know, ways that lab ran that I thought were good and would like to emulate as well in the future. Um, but mm. I am the type of person that believes that we are a product of everything we've been through, the good, the bad, everything. Life is never going to be amazing and perfect all the time. And even when it's not good, some things will come of it. So I try not to look back and say what was bad, but just look back and say what things did I think I handled well and would like to handle similarly, mm. or what things I, I handle in a way I didn't like and would like to change parts. Like maybe maybe looking back, maybe I wish I had stayed in that lab less of an t- amount of time, but I'm so happy I had gone through that experience because it's part of who I am now. Um, it sounds like you do try and find the silver I try. It sounds like you do try and find the silver lining in every cloud. I try. Sometimes I'm very mad for a while and go for a lot of runs and then I find the silver lining and I think that's fine too. I think that, you know finding the silver lining is important and definitely try to be an optimist I think I have to be in science in order to make it um mm-hmm. but you don't have to be an optimist every minute of every day there's definitely times where I just come home like oh this was the worst give me the pint of ice cream or turn on some crappy <laughs> reality tv or I need to go for a run I'm so frustrated right now and like you know having good outlets 
for all of that is also just as important so that you can get out the frustration and the pain and the anger to be able to come along to the other side of reflection and seeing the light and finding, you know, the silver linings. Well, that just sounds so incredibly human. Yeah, you know, we try. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's it from my STEM guest this week. Gosh, she really sounds like so zen and chill about the way she's approaching her life and her career and her personal life. And it's just so kind of calming listening to her words. And um, I'm really going to take that strong message that has been throughout our whole conversation, which is that in every experience, there is always something to grow and learn from. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to rate and review the show and catch you next week on Silence.